we will get started here. Um, if I haven't met you, my name is Kelton. Uh, it's my pleasure to be teaching this morning. Um, I am part of church staff here on the admin team. You found yourself in Delray Baptist Church's foundation class, foundations. Um, so we currently have two classes going on, one here in the chapel, one upstairs in room 303. Um, and this curriculum, if you, if you haven't been here before, um, it's kind of like a two-year rotation. Um, so if you, you go here for two years and take all the classes, you'll get the whole thing. Um, so the curriculum that's going on downstairs and upstairs is in the same track. We're just running two different years at the same time, so depending on where you're at. Um, today, we've, we've in, this, in this course here in the chapel, we've been, uh, for the last few weeks, considering the covenant of grace. Uh, two weeks ago, Josh Hart um, taught us about the covenant of grace in the Old Testament. Last week, Micah taught us covenant of grace in, in the New. <clears throat> um, and next week, we're going to start a whole new uh, section, if you will, of this class. So this is the last, kind of we're wrapping up things today. And you should be super excited. Next week, we start many, many weeks on the person and work of Jesus Christ. So uh, it's, it's pretty sweet. Next week is Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Um, after that, Jesus Christ in his incarnation. Um, so things get, things get pretty sweet next week. Not to say that today isn't sweet, but, but uh, studying the personal work of Jesus. Today, uh, if you have a handout when you came in, if you didn't, they're, they're on the back table back there. Um, we're in Lesson 29 on the continuity of the law. Um, so that's, that's what we're going to study today. Let me pray to get us started, and then, and then we'll start thinking about the continuity of the law. So let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, we thank you so much for the privilege it is um, to, on this Lord's Day, on, on your day, to, to gather in your name um, with your people to bring you worship, to bring you praise, um, to be reminded of, of who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, I pray that our hearts would, would bow now in genuine love to you, in, in delight in you. Lord, if, if that's lacking in our hearts, we, we ask for forgiveness, we repent, acknowledge that, that you deserve all of our, our love this morning. We ask now as we um, turn to your word to study your law, Lord, that you give us wisdom. Lord, we pray that you give us confidence in your word in curiosity to continue to understand how, how your word speaks to us. We ask this all in your name. Amen. Well, uh, I've been a Christian a little bit more than 10 years. I remember the first time I ever tried to read through the Bible in a year. You know, I was really ambitious. I had so much drive, interest, hunger for the word. Um, but I, I distinctly remember this. By the time I got to Leviticus, so not, not that far in, I, I was done. All of that drive was gone. Um, that first time, I, I did end up giving up. I did not read through the Bible. <clears throat> I got stuck in the books of Moses. Eventually, I, I did get through the whole Bible, and by God's grace, I've read it dozens of times um, now. But, but can anyone relate to this experience? Um, who here finds it hard to read the Old Testament law? Okay, half of you are being honest, the other half are not. Um, why do you think it's hard to read the Old Testament law? Hard to relate to it? Okay. Very tedious. Tedious. There's a lot there. It goes on and on and on about very particular things. Very cultural context. Yep. Yeah, there's a huge span between their culture and their life and ours. Yeah. Sometimes it's just gross, too. You know, like, I don't want to read about skin infections. It's gross. Yeah. So, so what we're going to continue, continue studying, last, last two weeks we've, we've considered the continuity of grace, right? So um, we, we thought about how grace was promised um, by God in Genesis 3.15, and that grace continued through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Something we might expect coming to the Bible, yes, that God is gracious. But, but law, um, it, does the law have continuity now as, as New Testament believers? Is there, is there a continuing relevance of the law in our lives should we really read about those skin infections and, and find it relevant? So the, the main question you'll see on your handout is uh, for today is, what is the Christian's relationship to the law? Does the Old Testament law have enduring significance for the Christian? And, and if so, how does it? And I have, I have two goals for our class today. 
The first is that, that you would leave with either new or renewed confidence that the law has continuing relevance for Christians. Um, and, and with that confidence, you would continue to study, to delight in, um, to love God's law. And the second goal is that you would leave here this morning with uh, deeper curiosity. So I want you to have confidence and then curiosity about how exactly the New Testament uses the law. And I say curious because I know that all of your questions will not and, and cannot be answered in, in 55 minutes. Um, so much of what uh, can be said, um, and I would want to say ha- had to be left on the editing floor this morning, um, but I want you to get started on this topic and, and hope that you will continue to explore this topic as you read the New Testament, um, as you read the Old Testament. Before we go any further, uh, I want to give a book recommendation for the two of you that are are willing to dive deeper into this. This book, Paul and the Law, Keeping the Commandments of God by Brian Rosner, R-O-S-N-E-R. Uh, I don't agree with everything he says, but I agree with more what, of what this guy writes than anybody else I've read. So I think it's a really good book. If you do get it and read it, um, I'd love to be your study partner. I'd love to get together and discuss it with you, um, ask questions about it. So just want to get that out of the way. But to get to our main idea, you'll see on your handout, this is going to be a kind of our, our overarching um, thesis and what we're going to argue for the whole class. Our main idea, all Scripture is authoritative, but in the New Covenant, Christians no longer live under the law as a covenant. We continue to look to the law as it points to Jesus Christ and as it imparts wisdom for godly living. So hopefully through today's class, we're going to argue for, for each of those points in that main idea and that you'll leave being convinced that 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 thesis is true. But to get us started, um, you'll see Roman numeral one there, we have to present the problem. What, what, what problem are we addressing this morning? Well, to put it succinctly, when we, we consider the law having enduring, enduring um, uh, relevance for Christians, we see that the New Testament um, seems, I underline that, seems to say contradictory things about the law. To, to focus that, um, make it a little even tighter, The Apostle Paul, in his letters, presents both negative critique and positive approval of the law. So depending on where you're reading each day, you might think, wow, the law is holy and good, as he says, or in other places, just the opposite. And I want to show this to you. Um, This this summer, I led a class teaching through the the book of Ephesians, and I I ran into this issue there. So let's turn to uh, Ephesians 2, 15. Um, to see something of Paul's negative view of the law. And we're going to read the context around it. So Ephesians 2, we're going to read 14 through 16. Um, and can uh, whoever gets, gets there first, can you read those three verses for us? Great. Thanks, Craig. So, yeah, the issue he's dealing with here in chapter 2 is uh, the divide between Gentile and Jews and how God has, has created one new man. Um, when you read this verse, does this verse seem to support the continuity of the law, the continuing relevance of the law for Christians? No? I see a few people willing to shake their heads no. What does he say about the law? Yeah. That God has... has um, Jesus, who is our peace, has, has done this by abolishing the law. And he uses these really flowery words to describe it. The law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Uh, right? We know he's specifically talking about, about God's law. So, so there we have some negative critique of the law. Now let's, in the same book, same author, writing in the same audience, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and read verses 1 through 3. So Ephesians 6, you don't have to go far. Can I have someone read for us verses 1 through 3? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment of the promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Great. Thank you. Okay, where does Paul quote from when he's commanding children to obey their parents? Deuteronomy. Yeah, Deuteronomy. He's, he's quoting one of the Ten Commandments, right? right? He's, he's going to the Ten Commandments. 
Um, so we wonder, why would Paul appeal to the fifth commandment if he just said that Jesus abolished the law with his commandments expressed in ordinances? How do these, these two statements fit together? Why would Paul appeal to something that he says is, is abolished? And we see this throughout, this kind of tension throughout Paul's letters. You'll see on your handout um, some in Romans. Um, you know, in Romans 3.20, he says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But then in the same chapter, verses later, he says, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So critique of the law, positive affirmation of the law. Um, and there might be nowhere clearer um, on this issue than, than 1 Corinthians seven nineteen. One commentator said of this verse that it has to be one of the most remarkable statements Paul ever made. So here in, in 1 Corinthians 7, 19, he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Now, I, I think there's a bit more going on in this verse, and, and we can address it later maybe, but how amazing is it that, that he who is a Jew of Jews says that circumcision is nothing, but in the same breath, in the same breath, says that what matters is keeping God's commandments. And you wonder, well, isn't circumcision one of God's commandments? Like, well, circumcision, that, that's nothing. It's keeping his commandments. Well, what do you mean? Circumcision is his commandment. So, so I, I, I say those things not to resolve anything, but just to show you the tension that is in Paul's letters, that these, these positive statements, these negative statements, what's going on here? Why is he saying that? Is he speaking out of one side of his mouth and the other? Is he confused? What is he, what is he doing? I just wonder, have, have you guys in reading the New Testament ever felt this tension or a tension like that? I see some... What do you guys normally do when you feel that tension? What's that? Ask Garrett. Ask Garrett. Yeah, go to your pastors. That's good. It's part of why they're here, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just want to show out throw out a quick word here, um, just of reading the Bible in faith. Um, I think that's one of the transformations that, that when you know you're a Christian, um, is that when you, when you come to hard things in the Bible, um, that even if you don't press in then, I, I don't have time really to think about that right now, but, but you believe it's true. I, maybe right now I can't see how these statements can be reconciled, but, but I know that they can. I know there's truth there. I, I just was, my heart was broken recently. I watched a YouTube video presenting all the contradictions that are in the Bible. Um, you know, it was put, put together by some atheists, and I just was reading through the comments, and just how many people said, this is, this is exactly why I rejected Christianity. You know, I was raised in the church. Nobody told me about this. I saw these contradictions, and, and it's, just, it's just a man-made fake religion. I can't believe it. And that just broke my heart, um, because... The, those apparent contradictions have answers. Um, and it's not, it's not disrespecting the Bible to press in on those questions and ask why, how. Um, in fact, it would be disrespecting the Bible to, to, not, um, to not try to understand what it means. Um, so don't be afraid of asking good questions of the Bible because, because it has good answers. Um, but it takes, it takes work to find those. Well, so the question for us this morning is, how do we resolve this apparent tension in the New Testament about the law? I can't resolve it completely for you this morning, guys, but I'm going to suggest six building blocks, one on top of the other, that will be a foundation for, for beginning to understand the continuity of the law. So the rest of this class, we're going to look, Roman numeral 2 through the end, we're going to just build on one, one after the other, and I think when you leave, you're going to have a better understanding of how... Uh, how we relate to the law. So the first one, you'll see there, the law is one unit. I should say one unit, one unity. That makes sense. The law is one unit. So before we go any further, we need to define what we're talking about when we, we say the law. What, what is the law? And uh, in the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Bible was divided. It, it was not organized like, like our English Bibles. Um, it was divided into three sections, right? So in, in Hebrew, it was the Torah, um, it was the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, right? So we have the, the law, or the books of Moses, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. Um, and they put those, they, they called the whole gathered the, the, the Tanakh. So you take the first 
Torah, Nevim, you know, TNK, Tanakh. So, um, and then when you read the New Testament, when you have Jewish authors writing about that, that book, the, the Tanakh, um, you see them sum it up with certain phrases. So you'll see it, the law and the prophets with, with the writings assumed. So they call it the law and the prophets. They assume the writings there. Or maybe you'll see um, Moses and the prophets in the Psalms. They sum up the whole Bible that way with Moses standing in for the law, and then you have the prophets, and then um, Psalms standing in for the writings. Psalms were, were part of the writings. I just want to say that because in the mind of the Jewish authors of the New Testament, the law referred not to you know, certain sections of Exodus and Deuteronomy where you get all these codes, um, but in the entirety of the first five books of the Bible, um, the ones that, that Moses wrote. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That is the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And these books are filled with a number of different genres. It's not just law code, right? You have lots of narrative, right? Most of Genesis. You have poetry in, in songs and in other poems. You have prophecy. There's prophecy predicting things. But there is, there is a lot of law code, especially when you get to the um, uh, event at Sinai, um, you know, basically. So there's a lot of that in there. Um, I put some scripture references there on your, your handout. Um, we, we won't go to all of them, but, but if you go home and, and look at, especially Matthew, Luke, and Acts, um, this is where the, the authors refer to the Torah um, as, as just, just one unit. But I do want to look at Galatians 4, <clears throat> 21 and 22, just as, as one example of how uh, in Paul's mind, you cannot divide. He's not thinking of the law as, you know, the Ten Commandments, um, or, you know, little bits of Exodus. So Galatians 4, we're going to look at 21 through 22. Just some context here. Um, here in, in uh, Galatians, um, Paul's writing to warn the Galatians uh, not to look to the law to be justified. Um, so in these verses, he's asking them, hey, you, you who want to be justified by the law, do you read the law? Do you listen to the law? Um, so can I have someone read for us verses 21 and 22? Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Great. All right, we're going to make this point quickly. He says, for it is written, asking them to listen to the law. All right, for it is written. Where, where is he citing? He's not specifically citing one verse, but a story coming from where? I heard mumbling. I didn't get, get one. From Genesis, yeah, from Genesis, right? In, you know, this is the story of, of um, Abraham having a son by, by Hagar, um, but eventually by Sarah, right? So the middle of Genesis, first half of Genesis, maybe. Normally, we don't think of that as the law, right? It's certainly not because it, this is narrative, right? He's just telling a story about, about Abraham, but he's calling that narrative in Genesis the law. And when he's talking to people that want to be justified by the law, you who want to be under the law, do not listen to the law, and he appeals to narrative in the book of Genesis, something we certainly don't think of, well, certainly I don't think of normally when I think of the law. So I just, I just want to show that to you. Um, certainly in the book of Genesis there is law, right? It's where we get the commandment for circumcision, something that he's dealing with a lot in um, the book of Galatians, um, right in that context of the story of Hagar and, and Sarah. But in Paul's mind, the law is not just the law code of the Ten Commandments and what follows, right? But all of the first five books of the Bible, including narrative in the book of Genesis. There's a lot more that can be said here about the unity of the law, but um, I just want to sum... Oh, go ahead. Is that always the case? No, okay. it is not always the case. But when you read about the law in the New Testament, I would say you should normally and almost always think about the five books of, of the Bible. The five books of Moses as a whole. It's one unit, and normally the New Testament does not divide it into parts. Now, you do have to read context, so to answer your question, but I would say most of the time, I would be very comfortable saying most of the time and almost all of the time, it's referring to, to all the first five books uh, of, the, um, of the Old Testament. Now, time does not permit to get me, get deep into this, but I do want to point out that this is contra some very common teaching in Christianity about the New Testament's view of the law. Has anybody heard of the tripart division of the law? 
ceremonial. Yeah. So I think some, maybe half of you have heard of that. For the, that half, listen in here. I think that's helpful, but I don't think it's how the New Testament deals with the law. We don't see Paul actually splitting it up into those sections. So that's my first warning. Second, it's incredibly hard to actually do that. What is ceremonial? What is civil? What is moral? The Bible doesn't particularly tell us that. Um, so it's hard. So while I think it's useful, if you have questions about that afterwards, come talk to me. We can talk about how to use that. I don't think it's how the New Testament normally deals with the law. So we shouldn't divide it. When we read through the law, we shouldn't be thinking, is this ceremonial? Is it civil? Is it moral? Uh, only the moral has enduring significance. Um, yeah, so just that quick word there. Okay, so that's, that's what is the law. We should deal with it as unity. So moving on in your handout to the, the bottom of the, the first page there, Jesus is the fulfillment of law. So two weeks ago, Josh took us, um, thinking about the covenant of grace, um, to Genesis 3.15. So right from the start, right from the beginning of the Bible, God promised to send a seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. The Old Testament anticipates Jesus to come as Messiah and Savior. So Jesus is the, the fulfillment of that promise that is in Genesis 3.15 and throughout the Old Testament. But maybe you think of normally um, Jesus fulfilling Old Testament promises, right? When, when I think of Jesus, he fulfills Old Testament promises. Maybe like the, the prophet Isaiah, um, who in chapter 53 talks about the suffering servant who would, who would uh, be wounded for our transgressions. That's how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Well, Jesus actually makes it clear that the law speaks of him too. The law speaks of him too. Let's, let's go to, to Luke to see this. So turn with me, if you would, to, to Luke chapter 24. We're going to read two sections out of this. Um, for a bit of context, at this point in Luke, Jesus has died and is resurrected. He's been seen by a few of his disciples. Here we meet Jesus on the road to Emmaus, where he talks to two of his disciples who don't recognize him at first. And they seem incredulous about the report. They've heard the report that the tomb is empty, and they, they seem kind of incredulous. So could I have someone read for us this conversation between Jesus and his disciples? Just We're going to read a section of it. Read verses 25 through 27. Okay, so how does he describe Moses in, in these verses? He kind of lumps him in, right? Yeah, so he calls Moses a prophet. We certainly see this in other places in the Scripture, Moses, uh, a prophet. But Moses, Moses wrote the first five books. So he's, he's referring to these first five books as, as prophecy. Um, so when he wants to explain to his disciples who don't understand... Um, that, that what happened to him is a fulfillment of the scripture, he begins with Moses, right? Beginning with Moses and continuing all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And that scriptures is, is including the law. So there, there's the first bit. Let's keep going in, in Luke 24 to verse 44 through 49. Can someone read 44 through 49? Here, oh, go ahead. Great. Thank you. So I read that again because he, it says he particularly opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And again, in, in this context, the scriptures is not the New Testament, right? This is the Old Testament he's talking about. And all this, this wonderful stuff, right? Christ's death and resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, the proclamation of the gospel to the nations, everything that was written about him, and specifically he says, in the law of Moses, so there it is, you know, crystal clear. The law of Moses speaks of Jesus in very clear terms. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And guys, so much more can be said about this too. This is, this is wonderful stuff. This is, you could spend a lifetime studying this and, and 
Um, the disciples here in this, this say, they say, didn't our hearts not burn within us when he spoke to us on the road, right? Um, when, when you see Jesus Christ taught from the Old Testament, may your hearts burn within you. This is wonderful, beautiful stuff. But we can't, we can't, can't spend too much time on that. Just, I want to I summarize this. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. When we read the law, it should point to, predict, speak of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's number three on our handout. The law is fulfilled by Jesus. So let's, let's keep going. We only got so much time here. Turn over your handout. Roman numeral four, four. The law reveals sin. So if you'll notice, the first two of our blocks um, are about the nature of the law in particular. It's unified and it's prophetic. So we're, we were talking about the, the nature of the law. But from here on out, for the rest of our Roman numerals, the whole back page, we're going to be particularly building blocks about how we relate to the law. Now we're going to be, be thinking about, okay, when that law interac- interacts with us, what does it do? Right? And so the first thing it does when it particularly interacts with us is it reveals sin. It reveals sin. And this is an area of continuity, right? The law reveals sin is, a, is an area of strong continuity. It's been doing this since it was first given. Um, I, I, I want you to listen to these verses in quick succession so you can kind of hear the themes that they're getting at. So I'm going to read for you four verses. They're on your handout, so you can go back to them. Um, but I want you to just hear what does Paul speak of the law. I'm going to read from Romans and Galatians. And what does he say about the law? What does it do? So just listen to me. Romans 3.20 For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans 5.20 Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Romans 7.1 If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And, and turning to Galatians, I wish we could just spend the whole class really studying Galatians 3 because it, it says so much about the law. So if you want to go home and, and study more about this, go study Galatians 3. Um, but it doesn't say everything, so we're just going to read this, this one verse. Um, here had, Paul has been talking about how in the inheritance, the promise, um, how the inheritance has come by promise to Abraham. Um, but then he asks, well, well, if the inheritance is by promise, why the law? Why, why did God give law 430 years after the promise? Well, listen, Galatians 3.19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And the offspring he's talking about here is Jesus Christ, until the offspring comes, Jesus. And because of transgressions, that phrase there, it was added because of transgressions, could mean a few things, but Paul probably has in mind that the law was added in order to reveal people's sinfulness and, and show them their need of a Savior. So I, ho- I hope those verses in Romans and Galatians prove one big point, right? That sometimes when Paul is speaking about the law, he's speaking about its sin-revealing purpose. That's something he has in mind. I wish we could, we could study lots of Scripture this morning, but, but if you want to go home and study this more, I, I have it on your handout. Go study 1 Timothy 1, 3-11, where he's speaking about how some teachers are trying to teach the law, but they're not doing it right. They're not doing it the way it should be done. Um, and he's not saying everything about the law here, but he is speaking about how the law is used for, for ungodly people to show sin. So that's your assignment. Go study that and see how it, Paul is speaking about how the law reveals sin. Um, so let, let's brief, briefly summarize. Num- Roman number four, the law reveals sin. Part of the reason for the law was to show us our sin, and in showing us our sin, point us to the need of, of a Savior. So that's part, part of the purpose of the law. Well, let's keep going. Number five, you see on your handout, number five, we are not under the law. We are not under the law. So if, speaking of the law, revealing sin is, is, is part of the continuity of the law, how it's, how it's very similar to how it has always operated. This is actually an area of great dos, dis, discontinuity between the new covenant and the old covenant. Um, so sometimes when Paul is speaking of the law negatively, this is what he has in mind, that we are not under the law. So in, in a word, just to summarize it before we get going, the, no, the law no longer functions as a covenant for God's people. So it is no longer the terms of our relationship with him. Christians relate to God through the new covenant, as Micah led us through last week. 
Do you guys remember, if you were here last week, we read through Jeremiah 31 um, and, and certain sections of it. Listen again and, and th- listen to how it speaks about the law. Jeremiah 31, I'll read 31 through 33. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So if, if, that, if those verses say nothing else, they say that our relationship, new covenant relationship to God by the law is going to be different. He speaks of law being written on hearts, um, you know, law within us. So first, this means that we are not justified by law. That's the first thing we have to understand here. This is made, this is probably the, the, one of the main messages of the New, New Testament. Uh, it's everywhere, but it's definitely all over Romans and Galatians. Um, you see, I, I wrote on your handout Galatians 2.16, um, verses, and uh, in, in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Um, Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we also who have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. And then Galatians 3, 10, 11. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So this is the clear teaching of the New Testament. This is really what, what Paul wrote the book of Galatians for, um, people who were tempted to, to be under the law. Um, and just to be clear, no one has ever been justified by works of the law, right? Even those who were under the law, under the old covenant. But it was not the fault of the law. It was our inability to keep the law. Um, Paul says elsewhere that the commandments that promised life proved to be death to me. Um, so, so no one has ever been justified by law, but, but that's something that's, that's very clear. But, but because we cannot be justified by works of the law, God has given a new covenant in Jesus' blood. Um, listen again to, to, Paul, to Paul in Romans. So if Galatians is saying that you can't be justified by the law, listen, listen to what he says in Romans. Again, these are on your handout if you want to look at them later. Romans six fourteen through 15. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. So what's he saying there? We are not under the law. Romans 7, 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Right? We are released from the law. We died to the law, he says. And finally, Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We are freed from the law of sin and death, he says. You have been set free. But, but probably the clearest statement, I would say, in the New Testament about this, being not under the law, comes in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 4. You guys, you guys can turn there. After listening to, to me speak a lot, let's, let's look at this one in detail. <clears throat> Romans 10. It's a sweet passage. Um, Paul um, anxiously wanting his, his fellow countrymen, his kinsmen, um, to be saved, Jews to be saved. Um, in verse 3, he's mentioning that Jews were attempting to establish their own righteousness by works of the law. But then he has this, this statement in verse 4. So could I have someone read for us verse 4 of chapter 10? Yeah. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone to believe. I, I don't think it's clearer anywhere in the state in the New Testament than this statement. And I, I think what he means, in other words, is that those who trust in Jesus cease from using the law to establish their own righteousness. Right? No one will be justified by works of the law. And therefore, he is the end. And that, that word in Greek, um, you know, is, is telos. So it's, it's like the goal, right? This is... This is what it's been achieving. 
the law is pointing towards this in Christ, that righteousness is, is apart from the law, right? That we actually have righteousness in, in uh, Christ, so we are not under the law anymore for righteousness. We are under Jesus Christ for righteousness. Now, there's a lot more that I can say again on this point, um, but let's rejoice that we have righteousness not by works of the law because we couldn't do that. We would be all condemned in God's sight when we try to be righteous by our own works. As, as good as they would be, Isaiah reminds us that they are like filthy rags before God. We rather have, have righteousness by, by faith in Christ. But I'd, I'd like to hear from you because this, this is an area of huge discontinuity between the, the Old Covenant and New Covenant. Do you, does anybody have questions about what it means to not be under the law but under grace or under Christ? Are there particular questions here? I, I could say a lot more, but I want to hear from you guys. Yep. Yep. Yeah, legalism. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. A lot of people think that when Paul speaks negatively of the law, he's thinking of of um, legalism, and so that's that's something certainly we need to work through. There certainly was in Paul's day a, a legalistic interpretation of the law. Um, the Pharisees, um, yeah, adding on to the law. Um, but yeah, the, but he can say that the law is good, the law is holy, right? So um, in, its, in its right interpretation, in its right application, um, it, is not, it is not legalism. It's God's, it's God's will. Does that, does that get to your question? Yeah, I think so. Did you want to comment on that? I don't know if I have an answer. Yep. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think you're right. Principles carry over. So maybe sometimes we think of that like practically. Uh, I don't read my Bible every day. You know, um, I, when we rely on works a lot, we think, well, if I really read my Bible every day and pray every day, then God will, will love me. Well, yeah, certainly one of the, new, the Old Covenant commandments was not read your New Testament every day. Um, there are things about it, right? Like Jesus himself quotes, like man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth, mouth of God, but there's no commandment to read the Bible every day. So yeah, I think there are principles that carry over, um, but I do think he has. When he talks about relying on works of the law, he is, he does have in mind particularly the, the five books of Moses. Do you have a comment, Jessica? Yeah, question. Yes. So for those of us who are still fully understanding what it means to just operate and receive mm-hmm. the riches of his mm-hmm. grace. Amen. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I'd I'd want to I'd want to remind you of the gospel, the good news, right? That um, particularly Romans seven and Romans eight. Romans seven, I think he's talking about how the law just just brought death for him. Like he he saw that he could not keep the law. Like that it's impossible for us to keep the law. And the good news of Romans eight chapter one, when you get there finally after this this chapter of of him being uh, just just oppressed by the law, he says that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says, for the law of the Spirit of love has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So I just, I just would remind you again of, of the gospel, right? This is, this is at the, the, the heart of, of the new covenant, of, of what it means for Jesus to come and, and live a righteous life on our behalf. Right? He completely obeyed God's, God's law um, on our behalf. Um, he lived perfect righteousness that we would be freed from that requirement. But if you keep going in Romans, right, he says, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. It says those who walk by the Spirit, he's talking about. So the, the big point of Romans 8 is that, that we now walk by the Spirit. Um, so our, I, th- I would encourage us that, that our goal is not to, to look to the law and, and, and um, focus on obedience to the law, but actually to walk by the Spirit. And that's the same place that... that um, Paul goes in Galatians, right? After rebuking them about trying to be um, saved by works of the law, what is, what is Galatians 5 all about? It's, it's about living life by, by walking according to the Spirit. There's a lot more that can be said. I hope that helps. We've got to keep going. I, I saw one more, well, a few more. Warner, did you... What would you say to the person who says, okay, uh, 
if we are no longer under the law mm -hmm. of grace, yep. are we obliged to still um, carry the obedience to the law? Uh, <clears throat> I would tell you to listen to the rest of my class. Um, so we're going to get there. The law remains authoritative, and we fulfill the law. here. In, in, um, but I would ask them what they mean by the law. Um, if you mean the five, five books of, of Moses, I'd probably say no. Uh, I would say that the, actually the pattern of the New Testament is that, that the new standard for Christian behavior is Jesus Christ. Behind Jesus Christ is the law. right? Jesus, the way Jesus lived was the law, of, a.k.a. the five books of Moses. But, but um, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it now. We'll get there later. One of my assignments for you is go home and read 1 John 2, 1 through 6, where he talks about keeping the commandments of God. And, and I want you to pay careful attention to the pronouns, right? Like, who, whose commandments are we keeping and whose pattern do we follow? And I don't, I don't want to steal the thunder there, but, but he's not talking about the Old, old Covenant, the, the, the law of Moses. He's talking about Jesus' commandments. He's talking about following the pattern of, of Jesus. So I think the rest of our class will clarify that. And there's a lot of nuance there. We're not, we're not rejecting the law of Moses and saying it's, um, it's no longer relevant at all. We're going to get that next point. When we follow Jesus, we follow the Jesus who followed the law of Moses. But Jesus is the, the standard of our righteousness. He is who we follow. We walk not um, after the, the pattern of the Old Testament law. We walk after the pattern of Jesus Christ our Savior. Great. All right. We'll keep going then. There's a lot there. I hope you see that there's a lot more that we can say, but um, I want to keep going. Number, uh, Roman numeral six, the law remains authoritative. The law remains authoritative. We're not under the law. We are not under the law, meaning that we do not uh, operate. We, our relationship with God is not um, through the, the law as covenant. We're under the new covenant, but that doesn't mean the law has no authority. It doesn't have authority as covenant, but it, but it has authority. Um, so I particularly want to look at 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Uh, hopefully these verses are familiar to you guys. And I want to observe some things he says here. So can I have someone read for us 2 Timothy 3? Um, we're going to read context here, verses 14 through 17. Okay, great. Let's ask some questions here. Verse 15, um, what does he say the sacred writings are able to do? Make you wise for salvation. Make you wise for salvation. So he's particularly talking about um, sacred writings being the holy, holy books of the Jewish faith, right? This is the Old Testament, so it's comprehensive there. And they're make, able to make you wise for salvation. So their, their, their goal, their aim is salvation, and that in Jesus Christ. So they're able to make you wise for salvation. Let's keep going. What's he, what does he say the scriptures are useful for? Long list here. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Yep. That we may be complete. Complete, yeah. Quick for every good work. Yeah, this is, he says, they can make you complete. This is a full picture, right? They, they are uh, a comprehensive resource, he would say. Yeah. And what scripture is Paul referring to? Just to underline this, make it clear. Yeah, yeah, the Old Testament, which includes the Law of Moses, right? Um, and and look at those look at those words that he's using: reproof, correction, right? Anything that can reprove you and correct you is in a position of authority over you, right? Um, I don't know for parents in the room, right? Your your children, though they might, they might have some wisdom for you, you wouldn't say that they, they're the ones that, that reprove you and, and correct you, right? right they, um, and if, if you say they do, right, it's the truth of what they're saying that, that has authority over you, right? right? He's talking about something that has authority, that it can tell you to stop doing what you're doing, 
can rebuke you, can reprove you. Um, right? He's clearly speaking that the, the Old Testament, the law, has, has authority over Christians. And Paul does this everywhere in his writings. So I want to I spend a moment looking at how he uses, how he practices what he, he preaches in his letters. Right? He uses the law to reprove, to correct, to instrain, to, to um, equip them for every good work. So we're going to look at one example, and I'm going to refer to another one. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9 is all about Paul's rights. Um, he's he's uh, um, talking about, particularly here, about giving up his rights for the sake of others. This is what chapter 9 is all about. And in these verses, the verses we're going to read, he's talking about giving up his rights to receive material support for preaching the gospel. So he says, yeah, it's right for me to get money for preaching the gospel, but I'm giving up that right for others. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians 9. Starting in verse 3, uh, we're going to read a long section, 3 through 12. So could I have someone read that for us? 1 Corinthians 9, 3 through 12. And pay attention to how he uses the law here. All right, so he's writing to the Corinthians. We read that context because he's, he's giving them clear instruction about um, you know, his right to earn money by preaching the gospel, but him, him uh, withgoing that right for their sake, right? And he appeals to a lot of, he has a lot of rhetorical questions, right? You know, who serves as a, as a soldier at his own expense, right? You know, like clear human wisdom. But in verse 9, right, he gets to it. Is it just human authority that he's appealing to? No. What authority is he appealing to? The law of Moses. So does the law remain authoritative? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, where is he quoting from? Do you guys know? Might have a, if you have a cross-reference Bible, might have, have the reference there. Deuteronomy. Yeah, Deuteronomy. Uh, I think it's 25 verse 4. Um, but, but it's amazing what he says after he quotes the law of Deuteronomy. Right? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? Right? It was written for our sake. So when he goes to the law, he sees how this is, this is written not, not for the sake of the oxen. Now, Moses was concerned about oxen, right? He's actually writing for, for new covenant preachers of the gospel. He's writing for, for our sake. Um, Paul is able to appeal to the law as enduring authority for Christians. And if you keep reading, he does the same thing in the next chapter. He's warning the um, Corinthians about idolatry, right? They, there's this concern in chapter 8 about meat sacrificed to idols. Um, and in 1014, he's going to warn them to flee idolatry. So that's the context. And where does he appeal to give weight to his reproof to, to flee idols? Well, he talks about the wilderness generation in the book of Ex- Exodus. He quotes from Exodus 32, um, their worship of the golden calf. And then he goes to Numbers 21, where they put God to the test. And then in, in 10, verse 11, again, he says, These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like the, the law has authority. It sounds like the law is profitable for teaching. So I want to I sum up what we've seen so far here, is that all Scripture is authoritative. All of it. Paul appeals to it. He, he lends its authority to what he is commanding Christians. But in the New Covenant... Christians no longer live under the law as a covenant. It is not the basis of our relationship with God. 
but we continue to look to the law as prophecy, prophecy for Christ, and for guidance, guidance in, in how we are to live. And if you'll notice, that's the main thesis of our class. That's, that's our main idea. Are there any questions about the um, enduring authority of the law over Christians? Craig, do you have a question back there? Yeah. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Because we don't take Old Testament food laws. Yep. We eat bacon. Yeah. But but we take the Ten Commandments. Yep. So so how do we? um, Because some people say, oh, you can just pick and choose the laws and follow. What is the same thing? Yeah. Quick, a quick word on that, though. You're right. We could spend weeks on this. Um, A quick word is is an, an easy way is to see where where the apostles do it. So like if you're if you're worried about how to apply the Old Testament law. How does the, the New Testament apostles, the, the inspired authors of Scripture, and, you know, that, that's a very easy, the food law, right? We can go to, to um, Jesus' direct uh, command to Peter to take up and eat, you know, these unclean foods. Um, do not say, you know, these are unclean. So it's very clear why he's doing that. Well, I, I think we have to read all the law with the, to get technical here, a Christological lens, right? Again, all the law is... is pointing forward to Christ. So when we, um, and the New Testament refers to uh, the Old Testament and everything as a shadow. Um, so you can think of, you know, a shadow laying on the ground. Well, well, when we look to the shadow, we can get a clearer definition when we actually look at the object that's making that shadow. That's, that's Jesus Christ. So instead of looking directly at the shadow, we have to look at it through, we should look at it through Christ. Um, so when we think about some of these old ceremonial and civil laws, um, which, which I would, again, say that's a useful category just to think about them, though it's not how the New Testament teaches them. Especially in the book of Hebrews, we see that, that these things are replaced by, by Jesus Christ and you know, his ministry as a new high priest um, and, the, and how he administers his new covenant. Um, a lot of those food laws were to distinguish uh, the Jewish nation from the Gentile nations, where... Um, we see that distinguishing still continue in the New Covenant, but in a very different way, um, through, through different ways of holiness. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's helpful. We could definitely spend a lot of time talking about that. It's a good question. Warner? Would you say, too, that um, relating the two, that Jesus specifically spoke to those, like, even when it comes to, like, food and dietary laws, mm-hmm. that he goes back to clarify, and clarifies later on, Is good. Yeah. Yeah. So he appeals even before the law to creation. Right. So I think there's a lot of that paradigm that even even what the new covenant or um, sorry, the old covenant laws uh, demanded was reflected even in in creation order. Right. So so we see sometimes that instead of appealing to the old covenant law, Paul will appeal to to creation order. Um, So, yeah, I do think I do think there is something to that. Yeah. Yep. In which he would come back and clarify exactly. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And we talked a lot about that. We only have a few minutes left in class, so I do want to get to number seven. And you can come talk to me whenever you want about any of these issues. I'd love to talk to you about it. Number seven, we fulfill the law. What the heck here? Our final building block to get you started exploring the continuity of the law, Christians fulfill the law. And I use that word fulfill because it has precise meaning. This is, this is the word that Paul uses, speaking of it. If you read carefully, Christians, there should be a long argument here. I can't make an argument, but I'm going to say it. Christians are never told to keep the Mosaic law. There's a ton of nuance there, but basically Christians are now to keep the apostolic instruction in Christ's law. So in 1 Corinthians 9.21, in that chapter where we're reading about giving up rights, Paul says this. He says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, But then in parentheses, he says, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So Paul sees himself under the law of Christ. Now, now what does that mean? Um, We could spend a lot of time talking about the law of Christ, but to be quick, it is first and foremost about love. And not the sentimental love of of our culture, but, but the holy love of our God. 
Do you guys remember Christ's word in, in John 13, 34? He said, a new commandment I give you, a new commandment I give you, new, in the new covenant, that you love one another. That doesn't sound so new. Well, what's new about it? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The newness of this commandment is that, that he, Jesus Christ, is the standard of the commandment. That our love is to look like Jesus' love. We're to walk as he walked. We're not to walk particularly in the pattern of the Old Covenant. We're to walk in the pattern of Jesus Christ. So when we think about love, we have to think about how Christ loved. So that gets us to the point. The Mosaic Law is no longer the standard uh, the New Testament appeals to. Um, the New Testament appeals to the pattern, the example of Christ. You know, Paul, when he talks about his mission, was not to bring about obedience to the Old Covenant. It was to bring about the obedience of faith, faith in Christ. So let's look at one example of this to close out our class. Romans 13, 8, verses 8 through 10. Romans 8, Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Can I someone to read that for us? Great. Thank you. So we see that, that fulfillment of the law idea here. But what does, what does he quote in support of the command to love one another? This is the command, love one another. What does he quote? You guys know it. Ten commandments. He quotes right seven through ten. Then he says, and the other commandments. Right, so he's, he's again appealing to the authority, the enduring authority of the law. But, but but he's not calling us, if you, if you think about it carefully, he's not calling us to obey these, these Ten Commandments directly, right? He's calling you to, to love. And he's saying that, that love is the fulfillment of all these commandments, right? The, the basis of his authority, right, what, what authority he's appealing to, he's not saying obey Commandments 7 through 10 and all the other ones, right? He's saying love, and you can see that in your love you're actually fulfilling all these commandments, <coughs> Right? This is what they pointed to, is, is love. We have to be careful here. He's not saying that, that we're obligated to, to keep the Mosaic Law as covenant. You know, he's using the law to show that, that those commandments are fulfilled in our love for one another. Um, so Christians fulfill the law. The, the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us when we love one another. You know, it, it, when you think about it, it would have been really easy for Paul to constantly cite Old Testament laws in his letter, right? Just, just time after time. But if you pay attention, more often than not, when he commands Christians to do something, he does not appeal to the law, right? That's because he's a minister of a new covenant, a different covenant. Um, and the other apostles do the same thing. So, so as, I reminded, as I mentioned earlier, let me remind you, your assignment is to go read 1 John 2, 1 through 6, where we are t told to keep... His commandments. Keep His commandments. Well, well, if you don't read that carefully, you might be like, yep, going to keep those Ten Commandments, going to read that law and, and obey it, keep it. New Testament tells me to keep His commandments. Well, I want you to pay careful attention to the pronouns there. Whose commandments is He talking about? What, what commandments do we keep? Do we walk according to the pattern of the law or some other pattern? So go read 1 John 2, 1 through 6 and do that. To sum up, all scripture is authoritative, but in the new covenant, Christians no longer live under the law as a covenant. We continue to look to the law as prophecy and for guidance. So brothers and sisters, when you go home and read the law, when you're like me and you get slowed down in Leviticus, rejoice that we now have access to God by faith in Jesus Christ in a new covenant, a better covenant, a superior covenant. All the shadows of the law are, are substance in Him. He is the Lamb of God that was sacrificed to take away the sins of the world. He is the high priest who, having offered His sacrifice, now sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the, the image of the invisible God, perfectly living out God's holiness and righteousness. 
after the pattern that we see in the law. So when you read it, submit to its authority. Let it reprove you, correct you, train you. Read it as, as prophecy. When you read it, look to see how it predicts, speaks of, prefigures Christ. Think of how Christ fulfills it. And read it as guidance. When you see how Christ fulfilled this, see how you can live it out in light of how Christ lived it. Well, let's, let's conclude in prayer. Father, we, we thank you so much, Lord, for the new covenant. Lord, that, that as Jeremiah um, predicted, Lord, that you have, um, you have written this law on our hearts. Lord, that this law is within us. Lord, that this is the ministry of your spirit. Lord, Paul spoke of his ministry not of, of the letter that kills, but of the spirit that brings life. Lord, I pray that you would you'd give us grace. Lord, that today we would walk by the spirit of Christ. Lord, that your spirit would instruct us um, as we sit under your word even this morning. Um, Lord, that we would uh, learn what it means to live for the sake of the gospel. Lord, that the gospel would be proclaimed um, in, in all that we do and say. Lord, thank you so much for your law. I pray that as we read it, we would read it in hope. We would read it looking to Christ. Lord, you would make us holy through it. We ask this all in your name. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys.